The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it's been a very, very big week in technology, as always. Many things are happening. Apple has released the Apple AirTag, and I think this is a very innovative device. I'll talk about it. I think I'm going to get some AirTags. Really? Yeah. Neuralink has embedded a chip in a monkey brain, (laughs) and the monkey is now playing video games. (laughs) This sounds like a waste of time. What does this mean for the future? I mean, Neuralink's goal is to embed a chip in a man, in a human's brain, and augment them with computer power. I can't To make say a cyborg. Not sure I like that idea. So we can compete with artificial intelligence. This is, uh, you know, this is an Elon Musk company. Oh, great. The... Uh, and then the Pentagon has released, finally released, their UFO sightings. Mm. And did you see those sightings I yet, I did Jim? not, no. But, but I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing well, about Well, we're going to talk about the UFO sightings. This is official Navy uh, footage. This week we're going to feature the a man who was co-founder of Adobe, uh, Charles Matthew Geschke. He, um, I, I um, uh, featured his partner uh, a while back, John Warnock, but today I'll, I'll talk about Geschke and, and, and what he did and what his path to success at Adobe would be. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Tom Schum. Dear Doc and Jim, uh, Charles Chuck Geschke co-founder of Adobe, uh, could be a great candidate for Profiles in IT. He died this month at age 81. Uh, I think it would be a very a good idea for you to cover him. Uh, a longtime listener, Tom Shum. So good well, that Tom, you Well, Tom, thanks for the suggestion. It. We'll feature him today. We got an email from Lynn in Cleveland. Dear Tech Talk, I frequently have to sign PDF documents and return uh, them as PDFs from my home. Now, I only have a printer. I don't have a scanner. Uh, I've got an iPhone and a Windows computer. How can I create a PDF at home? Well, um, Lynn, uh, fortunately, there's a very easy way to do this. There's an application called Adobe Scan. You can download it either to an iPhone or to an Android phone. And the free ver- it's, it's free. Uh, the free version will do everything that you want. Now, the paid version has a few more bells and whistles, but for what you're doing, you don't, have to, you don't really have to get the paid version. What you do, you simply uh, uh, print out whatever PDF you've got to sign, sign it, 
and then you scan the document with your iPhone camera, and the and the um, the application will save it as a PDF. You can do multi-page uh, documents simply by scanning one page, hitting continue, scanning the second page, hitting continue until you get to the end, and then you just click create PDF, and it will create the PDF of the multi-page document. It's really easy to use. I um, I have been using it at uh, at at my house for quite a, quite some time, and it's. I even trained uh, the other person here at the house who not necessarily is an IT expert expert, and she is able to use this application flawlessly. So I think this is a good bet for you. Uh, I got an email from Craig in Virginia Beach. Dear Tech Talk, I bought a new Acer laptop that has a camera built into it. I never plan to use that camera, and I'd like to completely disable it. Everything I've read so far, you know, you know, has taught me how to keep apps from accessing the camera, but still, I want to disable it completely. Right now, I've got a piece of masking tape covering it because I don't want somebody hacking my laptop and then looking at me. Uh, what are my options? Craig in Virginia Beach. Well, Craig, you are in good company. Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, puts tape over his laptop camera. <laughs> and since you have no plans to ever use your camera, there's no reason to leave it enabled. Uh, there's a fairly straightforward way to disable it using the, uh, the device manager within Windows. Simply open up the device manager. The best way to get to it is just click the, uh, the start menu and then... Um, and then uh, type in under search device manager and you'll get a list just click on device manager and then under device manager just go down to where it says cameras click on cameras and uh, to expand the line and then right click on the camera that is listed uh, there if there's more than one camera I suspect there's only one camera then right click on the actual camera itself and then um, you can select disable from the drop-down menu. And then at that point, you can simply close the device manager by hitting the little X in the upper right-hand corner. At this point, your camera will be totally disabled. I mean, the, the, the software driver will, uh, be, will, will not be functional. Now, there is one uh, small problem, one small <laughs> wrinkle here. <laughs> Windows wants to be very, very helpful. And if they find the device which has been disabled which they think you should be using, sometimes they'll just re-enable it uh, during startup or during reboot. So um, you may want to check this. After you've rebooted your computer, go back and check to make certain that that camera is still disabled because this is a time when you really don't want Windows to be so helpful. We got um, an email from know, Angela also, in Woodbridge. You know, your your tech talk. I was going to say your solution have, also looks better than yes. I was going to say your solution also looks better than tape across the the front of your computer. I know that's not that is not a good idea. No. Tape in, in, on the computer, no. it's not a good. I mean, maybe you could put a little picture up there or something, but <laughs> or weld uh, a plate know. over so, it. Well, some people put a little clip on a little clip on there, the, the, like a little mouse or something that yeah. clips up there, yeah. and it's like a little toy up there, and it doesn't look like a piece of tape. But I still think that's ugly. I think disabling yeah. I don't disabling like, it is yeah. completely is the way to go. Agreed. Now, on the other hand, yeah. the microphone is still on. Ah, 
And they could be they could hack into your mic and start eavesdropping on what's going on. Right. So if you're really worried about this thing, and if you're never going to use the uh, uh, the camera, you'll probably never use the microphone. Right. And uh, although unless you're planning to use your uh, your your laptop for Skype calls like we're doing right now, you could disable the microphone too, and then you could really be safe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Got an email from Angela and Woodbridge. Uh, I've been using the desktop version of Microsoft Office for years. I recently switched to Microsoft 365. After a few days of playing around, I got used to it. I think it's going to be okay. There's one thing I need help with. 365 saves everything to OneDrive on the cloud because it came with one terabyte of free one uh, free storage on OneDrive, which is the cloud version of cloud storage offered by uh, Microsoft. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable leaving my sensitive documents on the cloud. I'd like to save them on my own computer. There's a way to redirect it to save the files on my computer. Well, that is one of the features of Microsoft 365 to, to save things right on the, uh, the OneDrive cloud storage system. We give actually, uh, to all of our students, we give them Office 365 and they get one terabyte of free storage when they come to Stratford. And all the apps they need are on their desktop. We give them like a thin client and they're all there. Now we have them store everything on the um, on the iCloud because if they, um, on the OneDrive, because if they come to school and log in on a school computer and go to uh, Office 360, all their documents are there. They can't really say the dog ate the homework because it <laughs> never disappears. <laughs> but since you're uh, worried about the uh, security of your highly classified documents, all you have to do is change the default save directory. So what you want to do is open the uh, Microsoft 365 app. Then you click on file. Then under that, there'll be options. Click on options. And then you're going to go down to the save options, click on save. And that one of the save options is save documents. And then right beside under the, on the save documents window, there will be a box that says save to computer by default. Right now, it, 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 what, uh, you're, you're saving to OneDrive by default, but you click on save to computer by default. And then you have to tell it where to save it. You, so then you have to navigate to the subdirectory where you want it to be saved on the on your computer, and then click OK. Now, usually people save it in the uh, document subdirectory, so I would go to the document subdirectory and save them there. And when you click OK, you're done. Micro Microsoft 365 will now save everything to uh, the computer by default. Now, you can still choose to save it on OneDrive. It's, you just have to select OneDrive. Uh, uh, during the saving process, and you can you can still save it anywhere. But if you don't select anything and just click save, it will go to the default save location. We got an email from Doug in St. Louis. Dear Tech Talk, I love to listen to the Tech Talk radio podcast. I recently been listening to old shows and ran across one where you talked about your drone. You still have that drone. Have you upgraded it? I'm planning to buy a drone to like some information. Well, Doug in St. Louis, Missouri. Well, Doug, I purchased the DJI Phantom 2 probably in 2014, I would think. Maybe 2015. I'm not really certain. The first model was the Phantom 1. I got the DJI Phantom 2. And it wound up in a tree, didn't it? What? It wound up in a tree, didn't it? 
Yeah, it did. I mean, I, I crashed this thing all over. I mean, I, my, the problem is, you you know, I'd, I'd be flying in the in the woods, and, and it looks like it's going to miss the branch, but at that perspective, you can't really see it. And so I, I've ha- I had a few crashes with that drone, actually. Like, uh, I was, you know, one time it fell in my neighbor's yard. I crashed in a tree above their house. It fell right in their front yard. How'd they like that? Fortunately, fortunately the dog was in the house. Otherwise... <laughs> I think the dog would have attacked the drone. <laughs> so I, um, I really did enjoy this drone. I took it all over the place, and, and it had really a, a pretty good camera. Not, not, not a, not a. It had a good camera uh, for the time, and and I used to take pictures. And uh, but it, but it, but it didn't have obstacle avoidance. It didn't, it didn't have all the the new sensors on it that 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 the new drones have. And I've been. Uh, you know, kind of jealous as they keep developing. Now, DJI is Drone a envy. Uh, Chinese company. Um, uh, I mean, and the guy who uh, who created DJI is quite exceptional. He's he's almost like a Silicon Valley startup guy. He doesn't really behave like he's uh, from China. It's more of a startup, and uh, he's just an innovator. And they keep coming out with better and better drones. So. I ended up buying because I I actually just couldn't stand it. I ended up buying the DJI Air 2S. Now this is a small folding drone. You can fold it up so it's really easy to, to take around with you. And uh, and it's uh, it's uh, it's got a one inch uh, uh, camera chip in it, so it's got it can make high high resolution pictures and very high resolution uh, video. It, it will it will down like 5.4 kilobit per second video and it's got all kinds of automated flight things on it and uh, safety features and it's got obstacle detection for instance and uh, obstacle detection and this is the key word and avoidance ah, <laughs> i especially yes, need that around trees do you so have crash protection got up, <laughs> crash yeah. protection insurance <laughs> yeah well i did I'll get it. I'm going to get to that, Jim, okay. because because uh, because I've got a history with drones. Yes, you do. So it's got sensors that look up, sensors that look down, forward-looking sensors, rear-looking sensors. So it's got a very good awareness of the of the space, and it will just it will just absor- avoid obstacles. Now, in addition, it's in the uh, it's and it's got a a 30-minute battery life. Now, and there it is right now. What they have? Oh, is that it? There's your drone. I think I can we hear got the it drone fired going. up in the hangar. Didn't you build can, a hangar for it, too? I think I can too? hear it, yeah. Yeah, that's very nice. I think I can hear that drone going right now. now but, like, because this is for photographers, it will save either JPEG photos or photos in the raw, which means they haven't been processed. And many professional photographers like raw pictures, uh, so they can do, after the fact, photo processing of them and make a better photograph. It also has um, pre-programmed video flight sequences, so I could fly around that center point, focus on the center point, zoom in, zoom out, and make a very sophisticated video of whatever you want to take a video of. So I mean, so you could have a bride and groom, you know, at a wedding, and you could put, the, you could launch this drone, and you get a very sophisticated video with the bride and groom in the middle of the video sequence, both far away and near. And that's all built in and programmed. So this is really 
uh, a drone uh, for people that want to do photographs. So, so when you when you pick a drone, uh, Doug, you got to decide what do you want to do with it. Uh, now, some people like to race their drones, and there's race competitions where you have you've got uh, race courses for drones, and you compete there. And typically, these guys want drones that are really fast. They don't really care about the camera per se. I mean, you do it. You do. You do have to have vision, um, and uh, and they uh, frequently want to have uh, be able to connect with uh, with uh, you know with the uh, goggles. So you so it's like you are actually on the drone itself. So you're immersed in the drone's world. So you you could get a racing drone and and that sort of thing. I got really a drone which is optimized for photography. Now, if I w- now with all of the obstacle avoidance sensors, it's not as uh, responsive if I want to race it around because it's uh, it's got to do a lot of calculations all the time. So if you go into the sport mode, it turns off obstacle avoidance and the thing is just pretty uh, pretty responsive. It goes fast. It goes a lot faster, turns a lot faster. Now they also have the they have the cinegraphic mode. The cinegraphic mode they call that the tripod mode. If you want to take a photograph, it stabilizes extremely well, just like the drones on a tripod, even though it's a couple of hundred feet up. And, and, and how the drone does that, it does it with both GPS as well as with visual sensors that are looking down. And it uses the uh, visual sensors frequently to provide better stabilization than they would get just from GPS alone. So it's uh, it's a very sophisticated drone, and I just couldn't stand not to get it. Now they also have a replacement program <laughs> in case you your drone flies away, or in case it crashes in the water, because I'm going to be taking pictures around the boat down at the bay, and I'm going to do this video sequencer. So I'm going to be going. I'm my the drone's going to be on the water quite quite a bit. Or so in there the water. is a chance that that my drone could drown. Yes. So I got the insurance, and I and I can replace it three times within two years, wow. which is and it, they don't care whether it flies away, whether it drowns, or whether it crashes into a tree. But don't you think you'll get emotionally attached to your drone? You really would like to have just that drone. I know. Uh, well, I, I, uh, I give, given my track record, I'm trying to keep uh, you know my attachment to a lower level. You're, you're being realistic. I'm being realistic, I, and I'm not going to give my drone a name. Okay, I'm not going to name him. Okay, I'm not going to name my drone. Now, the uh, this is the base price for the for the DJI Air 2S is nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. <laughs> but but Jim, that yeah. does not include extra batteries and all the other accoutrement that you have to have in order to just be efficient when you're out on the field. So uh-huh. you really want to get the DJI DJS Air 2S combo. Which is a twelve ninety nine, huh? And then of course, you have to get the air insurance, which is one sixty nine. Uh huh. So, so by the time you're like fifteen hundred dollars or something, and there are also other attachments and other accessories that you can buy if you just want to spend more money. Do you have a car so, payment for this? But but this this is the thing, Jim. This drone makes me happy, <laughs> and so it's worth fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> because. I just don't like it when everybody else has a, has a better drone than me. I mean, it just it's it's just not good. Like I said, drone envy. That's what it is. And the yeah. problem is now that I've actually locked in and bought one next year, there's going to be a better drone. 
Uh-huh. That's my problem. It's it's like guys anyway, and boats. Anyway, I'll, I'll be. Um, it, it's got um, you know. It's got. Uh, I've got onboard uh, memory, so I can I can store everything on board, and um, it's got it, it's integrated with my iPhone, so I can look at my iPhone and I can see what the drone sees, and I can look at the iPhone to decide whether I'm going to take a photograph or a, or a picture. Extremely easy to use. I push a button and it takes off, and then it just hovers about. 10 feet up and then I can move it around. I, I can go all over the place. And when I want it to come home, I, I push a button, the RTH button, return, return to, to home. home. And it, and it comes back and lands at exactly the point where it took off from you mean without RTH, me doing anything. RTH doesn't stand for release the hounds. No, it does not at all. So, so I'll, I'll report, well, I'll report on my, my drone, uh, my drone. Okay, I'm going to be flying the drone down at the Bay house. I'll report on any, well, Actually, you only want to hear about catastrophes, Jim. So I'll report any catastrophes that I. No, I want to hear about the whole thing. Does, trying to get photographs over the water. This thing has has a camera. Does it have a microphone on it? Can you record sound? No, there's no mic on. Oh, that's mm -mm. a shame. I, was, I, was hoping, I, I don't think that would work because of the uh, propeller noise. True, but I was hoping since this you know, is a radio show, maybe we could get some audio of it crashing into a brick wall yeah, or whatever you we find. We might be able to get some audio. Uh, what I, 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 the, only, the only audio we're going to get is like um, uh, commentary, like, uh, you know, color commentary as the drone is moving around. Rick, look that's out about, for that goose. That's right. That's about the best we're going to get. Uh, we got an email from Tuk in Chantilly. Dear Tech Talk, I've been reading about how much data Google collects about everyone who uses their free service. Moreover, that they will keep your data forever unless you tell them to delete it. Is there any way I can delete my entire search history on Google? Took in uh, Chantilly, Virginia. Well, actually, Took, it's really quite easy to delete what Google's collecting on you. And they have created a uh, really a good website. I, I think there were so many complaints about this that they created this just to sort of tap down all the criticism. And it's called myactivity.google.com myactivity.google.com. And you go to that website and you'll have to sign in with your Gmail account because they want to know it's you before they start deleting stuff. And then you click on delete activity. And then you will go down. You maybe want to click on delete by date. That's a choice that you get there. And then you can select all, which would be all dates. And and then uh, from the top-down menu, then you click on, uh, then once you select delete all, then you just click delete and follow the prompts as they appear. And your entire search history will now be deleted, and, and, you can, and you're good to go. Now, the problem is, um, uh, tomorrow when you use Google, it starts all over again. So people that really want to keep, keep Google out of their business typically go back to the My Activity website and delete all the data monthly. They just say, you know, first of every month they go back and delete all the data. So Google doesn't have any more than a month's worth of data on you. Um, we got our mail from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc Jim and the uh, cheerful Mr. Big Voice, I just came across a website full of historical stuff, the Chip History Center, and it's at chiphistory.org, chiphistory.org. It's a virtual museum of semiconductor history. It starts with the earliest events, such as the field effect transistor invented in 1925. You see, 
We didn't think the transistor was invented until 1947 by Shockley, Bardeen, and Bretagne, but actually it was invented 22 years earlier in 1925 when the field effect transistor was invented. So it was really fun, Bob. I, I tell you, I love that website, especially when I went back to the earlier history of chip development, and I'll probably I'll get some profile and IT suggestions from that side. I really did enjoy it. I did not realize the FET had been invented in 1925, field effect transistor. That was actually news to me. So uh, I'll probably feature some information on that website in the future. Thanks for that suggestion, Bob. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, southwest of D.C. on 1077 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University and how you can attend by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Charles Matthew Geschke. Charles Matthew Geschke, I mean, he's, he, he went by Chuck. His friends call him Chuck Geschke. He was a computer scientist best known for co-founding the graphics and publishing software company with John Warnock in 1982. Now, uh, Charles Geschke was born in Cleveland, Ohio, September 11th, 1939. Now, as a young man in Cleveland, he was fascinated by the science behind letterpress printing. You see, his father and grandfather were photo engravers. So he was kind of fascinated by the whole process creating graphics on paper. And as it turns out, Adobe's products made the technology that his father was that obsolete. Now, he attended 
a Jesuit high school, St. Ignatius High School. Then he went on to attend a Jesuit university, Xavier University. And he was actually thinking about becoming a priest at the time. So he, uh, he, uh, he, was, he had a very heavy concentration in Latin in particular. And he, uh, and he also uh, studied the classics because he wanted to have a broadly based education. He felt like um, uh, that if you had a broad education, if you learned about our history and our literature, that you could function better as an adult. So we ended up getting a bachelor of science in the classics. That would be the literature. In the classics, the literature. And he, with a strong minor in Latin, he graduated in 1962 with that bachelor's. Now, after he got out, he, he thought he might join the priesthood. He was very, um, very intent on that. But, but he decided not to, and he pursued a master's degree. Now, actually, he loved mathematics, so he pursued a master's degree in mathematics at Xavier College, and he received his master's degrees in 19, 1963. And then he started teaching at the John Carroll University in the 60s. And actually, he uh, uh, was like he was teaching mathematics actually there, and uh, and he uh, he sort of came across computer programming and computer science by accident. Now, while teaching math at John Carroll University, uh, you know they were teaching they had students in the in the master's programs, and the the committee met, and they said uh, this particular student is not going to be master's material in mathematics. We have to tell them. Is going to have to drop out, and so um, so they um, they said, well, who's going to tell them? And since uh, Geschke was the new guy on the block, he got the short straw, and Geschke had to tell them that he would have to drop the program. So he went uh, to that student and uh, and and told him he would have to leave the program. He says, look, you're not a bad guy. This just is the wrong field for you. So so the guy left. And about a year later, the student left. About a year later, uh, he called Chuck Geschke, and he said, look, I'd like to come in and see you. And Geschke was saying, oh, my, this, this, this meeting cannot be, cannot be good. He's going to tell me how I ruined his life by kicking him out. Well, he came back, and the student said, I want to thank you. Kicking me out of the math program was the best thing you could have done. I got this great job. Uh, where I'm working with computers, and I've made more money in the last year than I can imagine. I am super happy now that I did not continue that master's degree. And he said, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to repay you. And I was thinking to my, and, he, and the students said, I was thinking to myself, how could I repay uh, Chuck Geschke? You know, because because Geschke was really kind of sort of this guy to try to help him. And he said, you know, I thought what I could do, I. Could, I could teach you programming. See, this was back before computer science was even a field. And uh, Geschke was, was not a programmer. And he said, why don't I come by this summer, you know, three evenings a week. And, and Geschke said, well, yeah, I'd like to learn programming. So the student came back and was teaching the teacher programming. <laughs> and uh, Geschke learned uh, Fortran. And he wrote his first computer program. Very proud of it. He he did this thing. It was a it was a it was a database program. It was it was printing out information from a database, and so he sent out birth announcements for his second child. 
and he did a, he did a mail merge. He printed the labels. He printed with a mail merge and using uh, the Fortran program that he had written to create these invitations. And he was just proud of really himself and what he had done. But what happened to him when he was learning programming, he loved it. He loved it. I mean, this was an, he had an, he said, you know, I, I want to devote myself to computers. So he enrolled in the program at a school that is now Carnegie Mellon. And uh, he enrolled in the computer, uh, computer science program. They didn't call it computer science back then, but now they do. And he graduated with a PhD in computer sciences in 1973. See, so he got his uh, bachelor's degree in 63. So that was 10 years after his bachelor's degree. So this, you know, he was teaching for a while. So he, he taught for quite a while, but then he finally, um, and, then he, and then he was probably working three years on his, uh, on his um, PhD there at Carnegie Mellon. Now his thesis advisor was William Wolfe. So Geschke co-authored a book with him while he was there, The Design of an Optimized Compiler. The design, the design of an optimized compiler. So Geschke was already getting quite deep into the theory of computer science by the time he got his PhD. Now, around that time, the uh, 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 McNamara, uh, who was uh, Secretary of Defense back then, was tasked with developing an advanced research agency for the government. Uh, there, you know, there was a feeling that we were falling behind the Soviets at that time, and that um, we needed to to amp it up and start start doing more research, start funding more research. So, and so uh, McNamara, you know, went up to MIT, got a guy up there, Litlicker, who was um, a professor at MIT. Litlicker was one of the, the guys who first in, uh, thought about packet switching, which is used on the Internet. And he said, look, uh, Dr. Litlicker, why don't you just uh, set up an advanced project? I'll give you like, you know, tens of million dollars a year. So so they set up the Advanced Research Projects Agency. Now, Litlicker, his belief was the only way we're going to move the needle against the Soviets is if we get a group of really talented young scientists who are focused on the nation's problems. So the one of the things that the Advanced Research Projects Agency did, they, uh, they then funded scholarships for students who were working on their doctoral programs and uh, that sort of thing because they wanted to encourage them. And so they funded people all over the country. The top, the brightest of all of our young students were funded by the Advanced Research Project Agency. And they were called ARPA brats. That was the name. That was the nickname. They were ARPA brats. And so, so as it turned out, uh, Chuck Geschke was one of the ARPA brats. And, uh, and so, it, and, and, and it, I mean, it turned out a lot of the people that, 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 that have been innovated, that started companies in Silicon Valley, were, were ARPA brats. That was an extremely successful program. But it's not the, uh, the subject of this talk. So, so then he... Uh, <clears throat> What happened was, um, at, the, at around the same time, Xerox wanted to uh, start a research center. So they went to a guy at the University of Washington and said, we want to start a research center. And we don't want it out of our main headquarters because, because all the copier guys will kill it. He called it copier antibodies, would, would kill <laughs> any new ideas. 
So they so they uh, they decided to put it out in California at Palo Alto. So they created the Palo Alto Research Center, and when they created it, they took the guys from the Advanced Research Project Agency. They hired two of them, and they went out there to start up Park. These guys who are out at Park knew all the ARPA brats. So they hired all the ARPA brats to come out there and do research for Xerox. And of course, Geschke was one of them. Like Bob Metcalf was one. He's the guy who, who invented Ethernet. I mean, there are all these luminaries in technology were ARPA brats back then. And Palo Alto Research Center just collected them all, all together under one roof. It's, pretty, it's a pretty innovative idea. Now, when he, so he was hired by, the, by uh, Xerox's Palo Alto Research Center in October of 1972. And, uh, and, and he worked on programming languages there. He developed tools that were used to build the Xerox star workstations. Now, in 1978, Geschke started the Images Science Laboratory at Park. <clears throat> this is where he conducted research in graphics, optics, and image processing. Now, he hired John Warnock. John Warnock was a guy who I featured before. He was one. He was the other co-founder of Adobe. He hired John Warnock, and they worked together to develop Interpress, which was a page description language that that could describe all sorts of complex typefaces, and it'll be used to um, for printing, really. And it was a printing language to make it easy to produce documents that were complex. And uh, <clears throat> they thought that. Uh, and they believed that <clears throat> this language, this Interpress, could be a great product for Xerox. They couldn't convince, convince Xerox to make it a product. Then, and Xerox said, besides, for if we do a new product, there's a seven-year life cycle. It's, it's not going to be released for seven years. So they just got fed up with that, and they said, hey, let's just start our own company. So John Warnock and Chuck Geschke, they quit uh, Xerox and they formed their own company. Um, and they got funding from a venture capital firm, Hambreck and Quist, and they founded their company Adobe and Warnock's Garage in 1982. And they named it after the Adobe Creek that runs behind Warnock's house. Now, Interpress eventually became PostScript. Which was the uh, which was a page description language that they developed from scratch at Adobe because they couldn't copy what had been developed at Xerox, and then they worked. Then Steve Jobs wanted to buy them. Steve Jobs called them up. He said, "Look, I'm going to buy you guys because I your technology." And they said, "Look, Steve, you're a nice guy, but we do not want to become subservient to Steve Jobs. We uh, do not want you to buy us, but we'll work with you." So they worked with Steve Jobs, and together they incorporated PostScript into Apple's laser writer printer. And that resulted in the first desktop publishing system, which allowed you to see documents on the screen exactly as they would appear in print. And that was called uh, by the acronym, what you see is what you get, WYSIWYG. And so uh, the Apple writer and the uh, Macintosh system were the first WYSIWYG desktop publishing system out there. And it just took the world by storm. And there were all sorts of people working on desktop publishing then. Now, Apple would, would then team up with Microsoft, and they wanted to challenge Adobe. So they, Microsoft and Apple tried to team up with their own post -descript, page description language. Or they wanted to get their own fonts, and they were going to squeeze Adobe out. But Adobe won. 
They won what had, what became called as the font wars. I mean, Microsoft's always in wars, so Adobe won the font wars, and so they progressed and do quite well. As, as Adobe grew, Geschke served as the chief operating officer and then president until his, until his retirement in 2000. Now, he once said uh, about Adobe that every asset we have at Adobe is, uh, gets into an automobile and drives home at night. Without them, there's nothing of substance in the company. It is the creativity of individuals, not machines, that determine the success of the company. Now, Getschke had a reputation as a kind and humble man. He always said, I want to surround myself with people that are smarter than me. I want a larger pool of smart people. And he always minimized the impact that he had. And he gave credit to everyone else. Uh, he was known, uh, oh, he was quite famous for a, an attempted kidnapping attack. What? He was, uh, um, you know, he went to work one day and there were two guys there took him by gunpoint and kidnapped him. No kidding. And they asked for like $5.4 million in ransom <laughs> okay. or something like that. Where does the $0.4 million come from? I have no Couldn't idea. Couldn't they round it up or down? It, it seems like they could have made it something simpler. And uh, so what But these guys weren't that smart. So <laughs> it turned out the uh, they had the daughter do the drop. So the daughter, uh, Geschke's daughter, did the drop. She drove out and dropped it, you know, under a tree somewhere. And, uh, and the guy wasn't that smart because the police were just, uh, you know, sitting around the block watching that <laughs> drop point. They dropped the guy, and then they caught him with the money. Nice. And they just uh, convinced him for, that, for his own good to take them back to the hideaway where, where Geschke was being hidden and guarded by the other person, which he did. So they, they arrested the two guys and, and, and put them in, uh, in jail. Now, Geschke was inducted as a fellow in the Association of Computer and Machinery, 1999 and 2008, he got the Medal of Technology, the National Medal of Technology and Innovation, awarded by President Obama. He, he, uh, the same year, Warnock got that award, too. In October 15, 2010, the Marconi Society awarded Geschke and Warnock the Marconi Prize. Now, Geschke was a Catholic, as you know, going to all these Jesuit yeah. high schools. He mm -hmm. met his wife, Nancy McDonough, at a religious conference on a social action in at a religious conference on social action in the spring of 1961 they married in 64 geschke died uh, april 16th 2021 just just a few uh, few days ago in los altos california of cancer he survived by his wife and three children so there you go all you want to know about uh, chuck geschke the uh, co-founder of adobe hope you're paying attention your chance to win prizes based on your knowledge comes up when we play the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. You can hear us on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, 1077 FM HD2 southwest of DC, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Follow us on Twitter at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you to our classroom of the airways, as we say. You savor this. This is bait and switch, Jim. We tell people to tune into the radio show. Uh-huh. And then we tell them it's a classroom of the airways. But my takeaway is you savored the applause a little longer this morning than you normally I, do. I really did enjoy it. Well, you know, now that I'm a, a proud drone owner, yeah. advanced drone owner, I just, you know, I just need a few more accolades. Yeah, you know? I see. So, uh, a classroom of the airways, we have to evaluate whether our audience has been listening. We do that with pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get uh, two tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms when they open after the pandemic. And you'll also uh, receive an A-plus for today's show. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about Charles Matthew Geschke. He, of course, is the co-founder of Adobe with John Warnock. And uh, while he was teaching mathematics at, uh, at a university at uh, John Carroll University, a former student came back and taught him programming. What did he do with the first program that he wrote after learning Fortran. Okay. If you know the answer to today's question, pick up the phone, give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, 877-936-9333. If you're still standing in line for your COVID vaccination east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, 877-936-9333. If you're co- Oops, wait a minute. He uh, dropped out there for a second. Let's find him. If you're contemplating joining the priesthood in Canada, call us on the wild card line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized hourly using your leftover Clorox tabs. They're known to sanitize just about anything. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Church. I think he was nearly hit by lightning when he got to the priesthood line. That's what happened to him. That's what I think so. So yeah. now I, I thought we'd have the a trivia of the week. Okay. Now, because everybody needs to have something to talk about at the cocktail party, 
with that that they that they can now go to because social distancing is even is easing out. I thought I would talk about the first odometer, the oh, first odometer cool. from ancient Greece. Now we know what an odometer is; it measures mileage. The odometer on your car measures how many miles you've driven. But but where was the first odometer actually created? Well, we, we go back to the earliest writings. And the first odometer dates back to writings in both ancient Rome and ancient Greece, referencing the measuring feet of two of Alexander the Great's bematists. Have you ever heard of that word, Jim? Bematists. I've never heard of that before. Back in the day, a bematist would measure distances between cities, and then they would create maps. So Alexander the Great had two of the best bematists. And they, of course, would have to measure distances between cities and and, uh, and you know and the, and the thing is you know if, you, if you're going to be measuring something that's multiple miles having a tape measure not going to work very well no you've got to have you got to have another method you need lots so, of tape measures so they uh, they developed a a technique that was used during the reign of alexander the great now what it was it was a basically a wagon pulled by horses and the wheels on the wagon had a gear gearing system that would uh, that would actually the wheels would turn another gear and there'd be a shaft that would come up in the uh, into the uh, into the uh, uh, into the wagon there'd be other gears that would be there and it would finally gear it down to the point that when the wagon moved one mile the final gear in the sequence would move just a small amount and what they put in that, and that final gear in the system was a horizontal gear that had holes in it. And they would put rocks in the holes. <laughs> and whenever, whenever the hole would go over the, um, the, a hole below it, it would drop out of the hole and into a basket. And they could simply count the number of rocks to see how many miles they That's went. That's ingenious. You mean, couldn't they have hooked it up to an abacus? I don't, th- I don't know. So they, so, so, the, so there's, there was one guy sitting in the back of the wagon, making certain that all the holes were filled with rocks, because if you run out of rocks, then you're, you're, you're not counting. And then at the end of the day, uh, they would simply count the number of rocks and that's how many miles they went. I would just and use the it, rocks in my head when I ran out of the ones in the basket. Yeah. So listen, so when you're at the cocktail party, you can talk about the, the first odometer that was created by two Bematists back in the reign of Alexander the Great. I could have used and, that information um, last night. And here's the thing. And if that doesn't drive them away, you know, because you do <laughs> want to get all the shrimp, uh, I've got a few more things that will drive them away. I can't wait. But you know what? Yeah. We're going to have to wait because we've got somebody who'd like to play the, the, uh, the program okay. here, the, our, our, our quiz. What am I talking about? The assessment. The assessment, yes. right? Okay. We're going to go to line number one. This is Thomas calling us from Bowie. Good morning, Thomas. How are you, sir? Good morning. Doc, Good morning. Go ahead and ask yeah, the Earlier in the show, I talked about uh, Chuck Geschke, co-founder of, uh, of Adobe. When he learned programming, talked to him by a former student, what was the first program that he wrote and what did he do with it? It was a program to generate announcements for the birth of his second child. Excellent. That is correct. Way to go, Thomas. Thanks for checking in today. We will send you out that uh, gift. And thank you for listening to Tech Talk, which is heard every Saturday here on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, 107.7 FM HD 2, south of Washington and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. 
Learn more about the programs at Stratford University and sign up to attend by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Observations from the bunker. You know, I've been uh, contemplating many, many things in the bunker. Have you um, now? I did escape from the bunker briefly. Did you? To fly my drone. Ah, and who because apprehended you? Because it turns you? out that in the bunker, there's no GPS signal, and the drone just beats against the walls. And you have limited ceiling. So I have ceiling. to go outside. Limited ceiling, but too. I was, uh, I was thinking about the leadership style of Chuck Geschke. Mm-hmm. He was a very humble person. I mean, uh, you know, I, I saw his wife, uh, you know, I saw his wife uh, talking about him, said he, he wore his uh, success very lightly. And he and he felt that he was just at the right place at the right time, a lucky man. And he was surrounded by really great people who did great things. He never put himself in the middle. He was just a humble leader. Well, uh, but he was a leader. I mean, he was chief operating officer at Adobe and he and they drove growth. But leader is a striking word for many people. It means power and personal accomplishment. The great leader stands on the mountaintop looking down on everyone else, looking over conquer territory or territory they want to conquer. But it's important that leadership qualities don't always evoke such high self-regard. And one of my favorites is humility. And this is what Chuck Geschke had, humility. I would go go as far to say that humility is probably the most common characteristic among all the effective leaders that I've known. A level five leader gives his team everything they need to succeed, and then he steps back when the team succeeds and gives the team credit. That's a level five leader. Humility, rather than self-promotion, helps leaders keep an eye on their actual purpose the purpose of the organization, and the success of their team. Now, Chuck Geschke was humble. He, uh, he attributed the, the, his success to what others had done around him. Now, to be humble 
doesn't mean to downplay success or to pretend that achievements don't exist. It just means acknowledge, acknowledge that, well, that other people contributed to the success and that you're sharing the credit with them. It, uh, it means collaboration rather than coercion. It means honoring people when possible, and Geschke did that. And, and I think the culture that they created at Adobe, uh, that of innovation, developing new products, and continuing to innovate over 35, 40 years, is, is, uh, is testament to the kind of culture that Geschke created there at Adobe. Humility is not a weakness. It's got its own kind of strength. It's a form of self-confidence where you don't feel threatened by the, by the, um, by the widespread um, achievements of those around you. So I do think that uh, Chuck Getschy was a humble leader and a very effective leader. So let's talk about the uh, product of the week, the Apple AirTag. Okay. And, uh, and so the Apple AirTag is a small little device that uh, it's, it's about the size of a, uh, of a mint, very small, and it's got Bluetooth on it. It's got, it's got near-field communication on it, and you, can, uh, and you can use it for tracking things. You can put it on your, uh, on your luggage, and then you can use your Find My Phone app, and it will locate the, uh, it will locate the AirTag. Now, the beauty is, suppose that you lost a device at the airport and, uh, you, you know, you're far away from it. If anybody else has an iPhone near that AirTag, you'll get a ping that the AirTag is there and you'll know where to look because you've got, you're able to use the 8 million iPhone devices that are out there in order to locate your device. Now, if you lose it in your house, uh, you, you can actually uh, get it to ping. You can say, find my phone, it will ring. And then you get an arrow on your phone that guides you to it. Like if you've got the, uh, you know, you've got your keys under the couch pillow. And so this AirTag has gotten great, great reviews. It just is a fabulous, fabulous product. And I'm definitely going to get one. Listen, we love your emails. Yep. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.